exciting things uh, with you before we jump into our text uh, for this morning. Uh, Steve and I were having a, a conversation about this this last week, and um, along with him and I and really all of our staff, we're, we're really grateful for a couple of things that God is doing. Um, by the grace of God, we continue to see our church grow. Um, last weekend, we had record attendance here, and, and uh, we're just seeing God really drawing a lot of people to himself, and uh, you know, we're so in, in encouraged by that. And, and um, and it's encouraging because we're continuing to, to, be, to try to be a church where we're clearly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and as we do that, we want to, more and more people to be able to hear that message of the gospel and then to be raised up in their, in their faith in Christ. And so we're really excited about that. But I also mention it because, as you know, we've been running into some, some space issues, particularly in our, in our second service. And um, so we also want to celebrate that that even last weekend with a lot of people here, we had a pretty good distribution between first service and second service. And so I want to thank you for that. We've seen a lot of people move from being regular attenders of second service to going to first service. Or um, people that have said, you know what, it's really easy for me to move south forward and in. I can sit over here in this section. And um, thank you for doing that. You're all really having a, a part of us being able to, to grow as a church and to be able to have a spot for when that neighbor that you've been praying for, that coworker, when they show up, we really want them to have a, a place to sit. And so thank you for that. And, and we, just, we just celebrate together what, um, what God's doing. Uh, I got an email this week that's one of those that, that I'm going to hang on to uh, for a long time. Uh, it really highlights what happens when, when God gets a hold of somebody, when like by the, by the grace of God, God begins to transform someone's heart and their life. And, and as a result, their habits and, and then their priorities begin to change. And and in this case, what happens when, a, uh, when God gets a hold of a, a dad in particular? What happens in the context of a, of a family? This guy was telling me about all the areas in which God is at work in, in, in his life, and now as a result, his family's life. He said, you know, we, we're connected in a life group. Uh, he said, we're, we're giving. He said, we're, we're serving this summer. We're lead, you know, I'm, I'm leading at home. He said, I'm praying, for my wife, praying with my wife for the very first time, and and you know, it's, it's exciting to read things like that because you know it's undeniably the hand of God at work. Um, there's no other way to explain it. It's that, that God is showing up and God is transforming someone's heart. And so it's exciting to think about all that he's doing. Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, in our series, Strong, Secure. And uh, we're going to dive um, deeply again into these last moments that really lead us up to next Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday, anticipating that. But today we're going to be in, in John chapter 19, and uh, we're going to be starting in, in verse 28. But before we dive into that, would you pray with me? And uh, let's again, let's ask God to do really what only he can do in our midst. And so, um, so would you pray with me? And, um, and let's just petition a, a great God uh, to do a great work uh, right here. So yeah, let's pray together. Lord, we first, we come to you, and, and we just want to say thank you. Uh, we are blessed as a church. And uh, we want to say thank you for what you're doing in this place. We want to say thank you for what you're doing in the city. And um, Lord, this morning we want to seek you. Let me just read these words. This is from Psalm 55. Let me read this as a reminder. Over It says this. Evening, morning, and noon I cry out, and get this, and he hears my voice. And so Lord, this morning, that's our prayer, that, that you would hear our, our voice as we pray to you. And we know that you do. And so we pray today, and we say to you, Lord, our desires to seek you, our desires to hear from you. And so would you even have just that sort of a conversation with the Lord right now and say something like, Lord, I, I come before you, and I'm asking you, Lord, would you surprise me, Lord? And maybe this is a total risk for you. You're not a church person. This is new to you. 
would you even pray to God right now? Would you say, Lord, would you speak to me? So go ahead and, and do that. Lord, I thank you that you hear our voice this morning and that you answer our prayers. And so this morning we commit this time to you and uh, we pray with expectation. Uh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me, uh, let me start us off by asking you a, a question this morning. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were really thirsty, like to the point of, of dehydration? In our passage for this morning, Jesus makes a statement that to some degree we can all relate to. In his humanity this morning, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I am thirsty. Now, they say that when you get to the point where you feel thirsty, you know what I'm talking about? They say that you've already gone down the road of, of dehydration. You've already stepped into that realm. I was talking to a friend recently, and he's training for a half marathon, and he said, I had 10 miles to run. This was like a couple Saturdays ago, and it was a really warm day, and he said, I knew I was in trouble because I got to mile four, and I looked down, and he noticed that his water bottle was almost empty. He said, I knew I was toast. Have you ever been in a situation where it wasn't that you would prefer to have a glass of water, but you needed to have a glass of water? I mean, you really thought, I need a glass of water right now. Sorry, I'm making some of you thirsty right now. Knock it off. But beyond, get this, beyond the physical thirst, think for a second about even a deeper longing, a, a deeper need, deeper needs that you have. Let me ask you a question. Have the circumstances of your life ever left you feeling broken? You ever found yourself in that situation where you said, you know what, X, Y, and Z have happened maybe in the course of a week or in the course of months, and you said, I'm at the end of my rope. You ever been in that situation? Maybe it was a failed relationship or a loss or a job situation that pushed you over the edge. Can you think of times in your life maybe when you just felt worn out? Where you just felt like, you know what, I'm tired emotionally. Spiritually, I'm kind of running on empty. Things aren't as fresh as they used to be. Maybe as a parent you've experienced this. You're, you're running so fast that you feel worn out. You may not be thirsty for water, but you can, we can all relate to this, I believe. We've been in a place where we'd say, I'm in a place of, of need. We find Jesus there in his humanity this morning. We're going to see in this, this passage that, that Jesus, yes, he has a physical need, but beyond that, what it does is this. This physical need that Jesus has, what it does is it opens the door of truth to speak to a much more deeper thing than just our physical needs. It's huge. If you're taking notes this morning, you can jot this statement down. This is our main point. In his humanity, Jesus undeniably he meets us where we are at. In his humanity, Jesus undeniably meets us where we are at. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we do not have a high priest, and it's speaking of Jesus, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Meaning this, Jesus, he gets you. Jesus gets us. He, he knows what's going on. Jesus is fully aware of our trials. Jesus is fully aware of the, the temptations that we face. He's aware of our needs. And the great news is this, he is able to meet us in those places. Why? Because of his because of his humanity. He's, he's been here. He's gone through it. Before we get to John 19, I, I want to um, give you a little bit of, of um, just the, the context of, of kind of, of, of where we've been so far that gets us up to the point where we come to, to verse uh, uh, 28. We're going to look at just nine verses this morning. But let me just kind of bring you up to speed really quickly so that you know if you haven't been here throughout the series Jesus is during, it's the, 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 the time of his public ministry has already taken place. 
And <clears throat> Jesus has he's gathered a significant following. He's gathered some people that are really passionate about him, that are his closest friends, that are on fire for Jesus. He's also gathered people that would say, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with him. I feel actually threatened by, by him. In John chapter 14, we see that Jesus is telling his disciples that he's preparing to leave them. And he says, though, he says, you, you know, you don't need to worry about that. He says, I'm going to a place to prepare for you. I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You can anticipate that. And then we see as we continue to work through the book of John that, that the cross becomes even closer as Jesus be, goes to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. It becomes a, a very clear reality. The cross is coming. And then from there, Jesus is betrayed, and he's arrested, and he's taken before Pontius Pilate, and he's beaten. And, and then in a, in, a, in a sheer mockery, Jesus is he's clothed in a purple robe, and he's, he's stuck with a, a crown of, of thorns. And then last week, Pastor Steve took us through the shaming process of the crucifixion laid out in John chapter 19. Now today, we're going to look specifically at the death of Jesus Christ. And so if you've got your Bible, turn with me to... To John 19, verse 28, and we'll also put the verses up on the screens. The very first word has, has got a little bit of background to it. Verse 28, the very first word is later. Now, scholars believe, and this is according to the detail that we found in the gospel book of, of Mark, they, they believe that Jesus was nailed to the cross at approximately 9 o'clock in the morning. And now this is about six hours later, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is where we find ourselves in verse 28. It says later, knowing all that was now completed. Knowing all that was now completed, meaning this. Refer, it's referring to all that's taken place to get Jesus up to this point where he's on the cross. Know that Jesus has consciously, he is consciously fulfilling the plan that God the Father has laid out for him. This goes right along with the words that Jesus prayed. We, you might remember us going through this passage. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed. Verse 4, Jesus says to his heavenly Father, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. God, this mission, this mission is from you, and what am I doing? Jesus is saying, I've completed it. I, I'm walking down that road, and now I've completed it. Verse 28, later, knowing all that was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now notice that it says, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. This is something that we're going to actually see three different times over the course of just the nine verses that we're going to look at this morning. And it's got great application for us today. You can't miss this reoccurring statement that Jesus makes three different times in a very short period of time. He says, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. If you skip down and you look in verse 36, it says, there again, it says, these things happened. Why? So that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And then the very next verse after that says, as another scripture says. Again, it's pointing to the fact that the words and then the actions as well of Jesus, they're very, very intentional. When Jesus says, I'm thirsty, it's not just some off-the-cuff comment. When he says, I am thirsty, it's, it's very specific. What he's doing is he's fulfilling the plan that's been laid out for him in this previous scriptures. His statement, I am thirsty, it refers to what David said in Psalm 69, verse 21. But don't miss this because what's happening here is not just, a, a, you know, not just an isolated instance. What we're seeing here is a pattern that, that Jesus has throughout his life. It's a, it's a pattern that has direct application to you and I. 
And I want to dig into it a little bit because this tells us a lot about how Jesus handled the trials and the oppositions that he faced. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel like trials and oppositions are, 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 are foreign to any of you. Throughout his life, know this, Jesus was relying on the scriptures as a source of direction. This is the son of God. But yet he's, he's relying on the scriptures. He's relying on the words of, of God the Father as a, as a source of direction and strength. You and I can relate to this to, to a degree. While Jesus was alive, he was misunderstood. Ever been misunderstood? Jesus was tempted. Ever faced temptation? Jesus was mocked. Ultimately, he would suffer and through all of this, what do we see? We see this reoccurring theme that Jesus continually goes back to the words that God has spoken in the scriptures. Ask yourself the question, in whatever you're currently facing, are you, am I, are we utilizing the truths of God to lead us through that situation? Let me give you just a couple of examples. When the devil assaults Jesus, and this happened numerous times, Every single time Jesus replies with this, he says, it is written. He's going straight back to the scriptures. When the Pharisees, when they pummel Jesus with questions, I mean, when they're hammering him, he says to them, he says, hey, you, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. When Peter, you got to love Peter, when Peter comes to Jesus' defense and, and he, he whacks off that, that, that soldier's ear, Jesus says, hey, hey, Peter, don't you know I could call down uh, legions, 12 legions of angels if, if I wanted to, to come to my defense. And then he says, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say that it must happen this way? The scriptures are always on the mind of Christ. And beyond that, they, they directed his thinking. They, they directed his actions. I mean, when he had pivotal decisions to make, scriptures, scriptures, scriptures. As Jesus was carrying the cross to Calvary, they, he passed this, this group of, of women that were, that were weeping. I mean, they saw him, his bloodied body that had been flogged, and they saw his body. And, and he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. And then what does he do in that moment of emotional height? He quotes from Hosea chapter 10. And then even on the cross, in his greatest agony, Jesus, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes from Psalm 22, verse 1, even on the cross. And I think this is very telling because Jesus is not in an ideal situation, is he? I mean, it's not as though Jesus has the scroll of the Old Testament open before him and he's sitting in his house, he's looking at the backyard, he's got a warm cup of coffee, he's in a soft chair, and, and he's just, it's just an ice time to quote scripture as it sits right before him. No, no, no. Jesus is at a pressure point. And out of the most trying of situations, what flows from him? It's, it's the scriptures. You know, when I think about myself and when I think about all of us, really, I think there are two sides to us. I think there's a side of us that comes out when we have time to prepare. You know what I'm talking about? It's when you have time to think about what you're going to say and you say it then just right. But then there's side two. Side two is what you instinctively do when you're under pressure. It's like the overflow. It's what comes out when you don't have time to get it just right. I recently had one of those moments with our kids. We have three little kids, and, and they were all just arguing and shouting, and it was way too loud. It was chaos, disobeying over and over again. And so in the midst of the height of their debacle, 
I said very loudly and with a good amount of anger, I said, everyone, just shut your mouths. To which they were all like, whoa, get the guy a cup of coffee, you know, like, easy dad, you know. And then it, it almost got worse because my little one, she, the, my middle daughter, she said, dad, you, you can't say that to us. Those are naughty words. <laughs> it's one of those family pastor moments, you know. But think about this. Jesus, in the, in the midst of like, when it's not going well, when he, when he, you know, the emotions weren't running low. It wasn't time just to get the words just exactly right. What do we find Jesus doing in trying situations? We see him acting with courage. We see him acting with determination. And in the midst of it all, what does he instinctively say? What words come out of his mouth when he's under pressure? Scriptures. Pastor and author Tim Keller, he put it like this. He said, if you pricked Jesus, he bled the scriptures. They shaped him instinctively. In his humanity, think about this. This is Philippians chapter 2. Being like us, facing very real life situations. Things that we can relate to. At every turn, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was submitting. He was coming underneath the scriptures. It caused me to ask the question this week. If Jesus relied on the scriptures so much, Jeff, do you think you should? <laughs> you know, when you study a, a passage, and I've heard Pastor Steve say this before, sometimes you're very surprised at the things that God kind of nails you with. Uh, this was one of those for me. Because there are seasons in my life where I'm actively committing God's word to memory, but then there are seasons where I'm not. And I can see a marked difference by, by how I handle different things. Imagine this for a second. Imagine if in the midst of whatever you're facing, imagine if, if you had a clear truth from the scriptures that was able to give you direction. Imagine if you, you feel alone and, and you feel isolated and, 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 you know, that's causing you to be a little bit anxious. Imagine if these words came to your mind. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you, God says. I, I will never forsake you. Or how about this? The next time you, you feel like giving in, you're discouraged Temptation actually looks good to you. Imagine if the words of Ephesians 6 were on your mind. Be, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, God, you can give me strength for this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Think about that. Let's go back now to, to verse 28. Let's go back to that statement Jesus makes. I am thirsty. Look with me at the soldier's response. Verse 29. It says a jar of vinegar was there and so... They soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now there's, there's great irony in this statement that Jesus makes, I am thirsty. Because if you remember in the book of John, in John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with a woman. Jesus has a conversation known as the, the conversation with the woman at the well. This is a woman that's, that's really, she's caught, she's trapped in the sin of adultery. And what's, what's interesting, the irony of I am thirsty is because what Jesus said to her in John chapter 4 was this. He says, hey, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's speaking of the water at the well, this water that you, you're wanting. Everyone who drinks this will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him, get this, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus knows is that, that this woman is searching for, for, for fulfillment in men. And Jesus knows that it, 
it's not going to pay off for her. And we can relate to this. Maybe, maybe you seek fulfillment in your, in your job or, or in a hobby or, or maybe in your family. Yet Jesus is telling her, hey, if I'm not central, you're always going to be looking for more. You're always going to go through life and you're going to go, I need the next thing, I need the next thing, I need the next thing. You'll never be satisfied. Jesus says, find me. Many of us can understand what that search is like and you're unsatisfied and you're unsatisfied and and you know what it means. And then you found Christ and you had a different outlook. In the scriptures we see a metaphor that this, this plays out, this idea of thirst. And it's that when Jesus is at the center, there's, there's a, a longing. And it's a, it's a, it's a, when he's not at the center, there's a longing, a yearning for, for something more. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God. When can I go and meet with God? Saying, wow, the true thirst of my soul, it's, it's not this or that or that thing that I thought it would be great. And then I got it and it wasn't that great and it got old or whatever. But he's saying, no, no, the the true thirst, where can I go to meet with God? In John 4, in a very caring way, Jesus is saying to this woman, you need the love of God, not the love of men. I want to give you something that will satisfy you eternally, uh, forever. Then for for Jesus on the cross, know this, and, and think about this, I mean, just picture that, beyond the physical thirst, Here's also what's happening. This is kind of the second side of this. Jesus is, he's bearing the wrath of God. And so when Jesus cries out and he says, I'm thirsty, what Jesus is getting is he's getting all of the evil and all of the sins of all of mankind. What is he doing? Jesus is enduring separation from God. Why? So that you don't have to. Jesus is experiencing eternal thirst from his heavenly father. Why? So that we can experience relationship. Jesus is thirsting, why? So that we can have the living water of God. John 4. Look with me at verse 30. It says that when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now both of the gospels, Matthew and Mark, they record that that Jesus actually, he shouted those words. He shouted, it is finished. It's like saying in, 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 in the language that he was speaking, it was, it was one word, to tell us die. It is finished. It's like saying, it's paid for. It's completed. If you had a bill and, and you were seeking to pay that bill over time and you, you kept making payments, you know, you made a small payment and then a big payment and, and finally you, you got to the point where you'd made all the payments, what they would write across that bill is, to tell us die. It's finished. It's complete. Get this, the infinite chasm between you and God, Jesus is saying, I did it. I traveled every single inch between you and God. It is finished. It is, it is over. Here's the reality of that statement. It's, this is from 1 Peter 3.18. Maybe jot that down and look at this later. This would be a great one to put in your heart. It says, for Christ died for the sins once for all. And then it says, the righteous Jesus For the unrighteous us, why? To bring you to God. That's what it's finished. That's the work. That's the accomplished work. That's why Jesus yells out, to tell us die. It is finished, paid in full. Look at me at verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was uh, to be a special Sabbath. 
But the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, and so they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and they broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then the others as well. Now the reason why they did this, don't, don't think that, um, that they're being you know, kind and they're wanting to just to help these guys get it over with quick. That, that's not at all. They're feeling, they're feeling pressures all the way around. And these soldiers are breaking their legs so that these guys can actually die more quickly because of what these soldiers are kind of being forced to do. And, and know this, the reason why they did that, the reason why they would break their legs is because when you're on a cross, there's, there's no way, there's so much pressure in your chest and in your arms. There's no way to get a deep breath unless you push off on your legs. And so they would break their legs and, and then anyone on a cross would quickly die of suffocation. It was brutal. Look at me at verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They found that he was already dead. Notice that. That's, that's really important. Know that Jesus chose his death. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said, no one takes it from me. And he's speaking of his life. He's saying that it wasn't about these soldiers. It wasn't about that flogging even. Or are they guilty of that? Oh, definitely. But he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Look at verse 34. Instead of breaking the legs of Christ, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of, of blood and, and water. Now skip down with me to verse 36. It says, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Verse 37, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. That's the story of the crucifixion. That's the story of Jesus in his, in his humanity when he, when he says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. It's signifying his humanness that, oh, I can relate to you. In, in his humanity, he he understands us, he gets us, but what does it do? It also, it, that statement, I, I'm thirsty, it sheds light on a much greater issue, a spiritual one, a very deep reality within each of us. And then he proclaims, it is finished. Again, meaning that, okay, here we are over here, and here's God over here, and he's saying, I've gone all the way, I've done everything. The righteous, Jesus Christ, for the unrighteous. Why? So that you can be with God. And he says, okay, I've completed the work. To tell us die. It's finished. You know, maybe as you approach this text this morning, um, you'd say this of yourself. And, and as I prepared and thought about our church and, and just the different things I think God brought to my own mind this week. There's a, a, a couple of groups that came to mind. Maybe you approach this text this morning and you would say of yourself, you know what, I'm worn out. Like spiritually, I'm thirsty. Things aren't maybe what they used to be. You'd say you're tired. Or maybe you'd say today, you'd say you're, you're broken. Maybe you'd say, you know what, the circumstances in my life, they're hard. You'd say, man, I never expected to be in this kind of a season, but I am, and, and I wish I wasn't, and, and you're broken. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Jesus gets you. Jesus is not distant. Jesus will show up in your life. 
If you're spiritually thirsty, he says, well, he says to that lady that's caught in adultery, he's got a plan for her. He's not saying, hey, you just stick there being spiritually thirsty and empty. Good luck with you. No, 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 not at all. Jesus says, hey, come to me. And what will I be? I'll be like a well springing up within you to eternal life. He's saying, I'm satisfying. No, if you're spiritually thirsty, God will meet you there this morning. He will deliver on that. If you're broken, know that God gets you. God experienced the cross. God experienced trial. He experienced mockery. He experienced pain. And he can relate to you. And then the last group that came to my mind this week was this. Maybe you come to this text and and you would say, I don't know Christ. Look with me at verse 35. This is so pivotal in this text. It says, the man who... The man who saw it has given testimony. The man, speaking of the, the man who saw the cross, the man who saw this whole thing unfold, the man who saw it has given testimony. He's talking about it, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and, and he testifies, here it is, so that you also may believe. He's saying, I, I, I'm not writing, John is saying, I'm not writing just so that you'll have a little bit more of a historically accurate assessment of the life of Jesus Christ. He's saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm not just writing for that purpose. He said, no, I, I'm writing so that you would believe. I've seen these things, he writes, and I testified to them. Trust me, it happened. He died. He'll, raise, he'll, he'll be raised from the dead. Why? So that you might believe. You know, I just want to say to you this morning, if you come here and you'd say, I don't know Christ, but like many, you could say, today's the day of salvation for me. Today's the day when I go, okay, I've, I've walked apart from God for a span of years, maybe lots and lots of years, but no, it's never too late. You can turn to God. He will meet you in that place. And so I would say to you today, as John would say, I write these things. Why? I write them so that you might believe. If you're spiritually thirsty, I'll meet you there. If you're broken, I can relate to you. I'm there. But if you don't know me, oh, from this text, would you believe? So let's do this. Let's, let's pray to that end this morning. So would you, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. Um, thank you for the gospel of, of John. And um, Lord, I thank you for the things that you teach us. And Lord, I thank you that you're the kind of God that you meet us exactly where we're at. And your humanity, you went through it. Why? So that, so that you could relate to us and so that we, we could know you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You get us. You understand us. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are spiritually tired this morning. Lord, I pray that there would be a, a time of refreshing this morning and later today even, that there would be renewed connection with you. I pray that, your, Lord, your word would transform our, our lives. I pray that when we make key decisions, we'd be informed by what your word says. And then, Lord, I pray for those who are here today and they would say, I'm broken, I'm dying, I'm at the edge. Lord, would you come, would you come through for those people today? And, Lord, would you remind them of the truths of the Scripture? You're there. You'll never leave them. And, Lord, would they feel your presence and your provision even today? And then, Lord, for those that are here today, that they, maybe this is you and you just don't know God. And you, you, maybe you've heard about the cross of Christ, but maybe today, maybe it makes more sense because the Spirit of God is doing something in your heart. Would you just cry out to God and would you say, today's my day. Today's my day.
Today's the day of salvation. And would you say to God, Lord, I've sinned against you. And you can say this in your own heart however you choose. Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, would you forgive me? I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know, if that's true in your heart today, I want you to know this. You, know, you now have in you a spring of, of living water. And you will be satisfied in an, an entirely new way. A satisfaction that will take you into eternity. So Lord, the, this morning we thank you for your word and the truths of it. Lord, we pray now as we close in worship that our hearts would connect deeply with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Great. Hey, let's stand together and worship.